This is Infants on Thrones. Philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are the core. Epistemology is the study of knowledge, and we're not so much interested in what you know. I'm not exactly sure you can say that you know anything for certain, but street epistemology is focusing on the method that a person is using to verify that their reasons justify a high degree of confidence that something is true, to figure out what's the psychology propping up this, propping up this belief. This belief. Usually when people say that they think God is real, they're thinking of a powerful entity that's interacting with reality to some degree. Yeah, some degree. My question though would be back to you. What do you think the word true means? It might be more valuable to talk about it in terms of true false. True, false. My definition of faith is untestable trust by humans in this untestable lifetime. Untestable trust, trust. Yeah, these words are so slippery. It's factually true that the Book of Mormon says that there was a Tara or Babel. We can open up the book, turn to a specific page, and we can read about it. It's yes. factually true that that's in there. However, it may not be factually true that that really happened. Really happened. I think words, words are strictly something that humans are creating, and then other humans are accepting or rejecting. Now, when enough people accept a, a meaning of word, it becomes commonplace. Yes. This, yeah. I, I'm thinking of like when I was a kid and my grandpa said, oh, you really made a boner. Me and my brother just lost it. We were cracking up <laughs> and he got mad at us. He was talking about a mistake. Right, right. A bonehead we were thinking, a bone you know, thing. A boneheaded thing. Yeah. So language changes over time and he got yeah. really upset, but I was just fascinated with it because we were both working with two different definitions of what that word meant. Which, which one of the definitions was true? Welcome back to another boner-enhancing episode of Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 608, Street Epistemology with Mormon Missionaries Part 3, an interview with Anthony Magnabosco. Now today wraps up a three-part series as I sit down with Anthony and a few podcast listeners who joined us live to talk about street epistemology and God and truth and language and burning bosoms and stupors of thought and other Mormon ways of verifying belief. It's an engaging conversation with a brief detour into a fascinating Mormon musical. I believe that the Lord God created the universe. I believe that he sent his only son to die for my sins. And I believe that ancient Jews built boats and sailed to America. I am a Mormon. No, 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 not that one. Yeah, that's the one. All in the service of preparing Anthony for his upcoming visit to Salt Lake City, Utah. Salt Lake City, not just a story mama told. To do street epistemology during the next General Conference weekend in April. Now, if you'd like to help support Anthony for that trip, I will link his GoFundMe page on the website. And if you like today's episode and the direction that this podcast is going, Please consider supporting Infants on Thrones by either joining us on Patreon or by sending in a donation in any amount of your choosing to say, thank you, Glenn, for the time it takes to record and produce content like this for me to enjoy. 
Now, donation details can be found on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you'd like to actually talk with me in real time to discuss common interests and share some goals that you'd like to attain in the future, shoot me an email at infantsonthrones at gmail.com and let's set up a time to talk, free of charge, of course, where I can share with you what I'm doing now as a life coach and we can see if there's any way for that to be of value to you as well. And now, having received these things, I would exhort you to listen and ask yourself if these things are not true. And if ye will listen with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in your internet service provider, to not drop this signal and allow you to listen to this podcast in its entirety, you'll probably eventually figure out what you actually think about it. I swear. So let's get right to it, shall we? Hey, hey. Hey, Anthony. How you doing? Good, Glenn. How are you? Good. I, I hear you. I don't see you yet. Oh, you don't see me? Let me see yeah. here. Um, make sure my audio is working here. Yeti microphone, start video. I think that'll do it. Wow. That's a picture of you praying? That's me, babe. That's a very Mormon looking picture there. That's a very Catholic looking picture. Is it? No. Catholics are, Catholics yeah. are bad. They're, Catholics are bad. <laughs> oh, did you know that Mormons, uh, not not as much today as um, in, in their past, but defined Catholicism as being the great and abominable church? You, you would probably agree with them now. I didn't know that, but I've talked to so many Christians who invariably ask, you know, when you were a believer, what did you believe or did you ever believe? And I learned really quickly that when you say that you were a Catholic, it's everyone dismisses you because of it. Oh, that explains why you're an atheist because you're <laughs> Catholic. We're taught uh, to worship those statues. Mm, so you yeah. kind of lose your, um, oops, that's too high. You kind of lose your cred, it seems, in the, uh, in the believing community. Unless you're talking to, to Catholics. Yeah. Nobody else seems to respect the Catholics except hmm. the Catholics. When when you were taking uh, communion, yeah, um, were were you taught that if you chewed the wafer that your mouth would fill up with blood? I don't think I was ever taught that. Did you hear it? I I think I remember being taught that you shouldn't chew it. You have to just absorb it. You have to yeah. suck on it and press it up against the roof of your mouth. And you're not even supposed to touch it, I think. Like, uh, uh, you shouldn't even use your finger to pry it off the roof of your mouth. Did you ever take communion? No, not not Catholic communion. Like, the Mormons ripped off communion and have their own thing called sacrament. But but when I was studying folklore, that was in one of the folklore books, that it, it was a, a popular belief among Catholics that if they chewed the wafer, that their mouth would fill up with blood. So I always ask... Damn. I, 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 I really... I don't know that I've ever found anybody that actually believed that, but it was in a book. They probably tell kids this and then yeah. you, you just, uh, you probably outgrow it, but you still think, oh, I'm not supposed to touch it or be, I need to be respectful of it. Maybe you forget about the, the, the wild visuals of like your mud, your mouth filling up with blood. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's conceivable that I was told it, honestly. I mean, yeah. I, I went to a Catholic grade school for eight years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Been? So, so here we are, Anthony Magnabosco. Is what is this? Probably like your fourth or fifth time on the podcast. I think <laughs> it's been a while. I think it's my third. Maybe I mean, you've talked about my stuff like the last two episodes, but I wasn't. Well, does that count me being on? <laughs> no, I think I think you being on. The last time was with Brene. 
Pickles, oh, the Jehovah's okay, Witness so from Australia. That, that I think that one third. was the third. So this is this one's the fourth. But um, yeah, because we yeah. did that series on the the street epistemology. I think that was two years ago. I don't know. It's been a while. Gosh, has it been that long? Yeah. Yeah. So me, so how have things been going for you? It, it looks like street epistemology from at least from the first time that we had you on, it's it's gotten pretty big. Yeah. So two years ago, twenty that'd be twenty eighteen. Things were picking up then for street epistemology, and maybe maybe it's a little bit even more so, I think. Yeah. Now, I mean, we started a nonprofit organization for street epistemology, Street Epistemology International. So if mm-hmm. anyone wants to support that, that would be good. We're starting to get some funding from individuals as well as some organizations. So yeah, the idea there is that if you are somebody who loves this concept and wants to teach it or give a give, go to a conference to give a talk on it or whatever or anything else along those lines. If, you, if you're interested in promoting street epistemology, we'll consider your expenses and maybe even reimburse you for it if mm. we feel like it, it can make a big difference. Yeah, well, let's, let, 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 let's do like the, the elevator approach. You know, for people who, who didn't listen two years ago and maybe don't know what street epistemology is, even from the last two episodes where I've been reviewing it, how, how would you describe it? What, what is it? What's my definition changes or my explanation changes all the time. And it's not because uh, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I always try to vary. <laughs> I always try to vary just a little bit. But in a yeah. nutshell, it's not arguing or debating. It's actually listening, listening to your conversation partner, hearing her out, figuring out what it is she thinks is true and her reasons why, and her methods for concluding that those are good reasons. And it is all about active listening, repeating back what you're hearing, yeah. and driving to the foundation of what's really propping it up not getting so mired in the actual doctrine, what the, what the holy book says per se, but how you're concluding that that is a reliable source of truth. And I know I'm opening up a huge can of worms when I phrase it that way for you. That's all right. No, I love it. I mean, and we can definitely get into yeah, it. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, it's not arguing. It's not even giving facts. It's yeah. figuring out where a person is and trying to meet them where they're at and use questions and be respectful and try to get down to the, what's actually propping it all up and seeing if they've built it on a reliable foundation. Because that's basically what epistemology means, right? It's, it's the, the, the reasons that you have to come to a certain belief. Well, street epistemology is, is, a, is a unfortunate misnomer that I think we've been, been saddled with because mm-hmm. epistemology is the study of knowledge and we're not so mm-hmm. much interested in what you know because, well, I think most many people watch this closely or are in the philosophical space. I'm not exactly sure you can say that you know anything for certain. Mm. So, but street epistemology is, is focusing on the method that a person is using to verify that their reasons justify a high degree of confidence that something is true. Yeah. So it doesn't have to even be about religion. I hope that's pretty clear. It, it, it often comes up and it was started by an atheist who wrote a book yeah. for atheists and that's how it, how it started. But we really want to get to the point, Glenn, where everyone can learn it and, and considered as considered as a tool available to them when they are about to embark on a conversation with somebody about a claim. What, what have been, can you put a number on how many of these you've done? Interviews with people? Yeah. How many, how many street epistemology stop and chats have you done? Mm, it's easily over a thousand. I would put it at 1500, maybe 2000. Like I've done a lot, yeah. a lot, lot, lot. 
Yeah. So, so in, in, in that number, are there any that really jump out that have seemed exceptional to you where the person that you're talking to has really, really good reasons for believing what they believe? Ooh, jumped out at me. So I thought you were going to go with just jumped out at me like being a profound talk. I mean, almost all of them are profound talks. Occasionally, I do run into people who seem like they've really thought their beliefs through and they have good reasons and they have a way of validating the reasons. And what I find, it's really interesting, I find it's harder to engage with them using this approach when they seem to have a rigorous backing and a scientific process possibly behind them. Some of my most challenging conversations are people who say, I think that the earth is a globe or that global warming is actually real and happening or something along those lines. And uh, it's the supernatural claims that street epistemology tends to excel with. It's extremely good for respectfully interrogating religious claims and supernatural claims about karma and reincarnation and Reiki healing and all that, all that other stuff. Ghost, maybe aliens, semi-biological, I suppose, kind of straddles both. And you can even use it with politics. Mm -hmm. But I, I find myself struggling with it when I'm presented with somebody who's making the claim of something that seems to be rooted in, in um, f with, fi with a backing of facts. So when, when they have facts, mm -hmm. you, 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 you feel like the, the method isn't as effective? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. You said you struggled with it and you said the ones that really excel are the supernatural ones. The one, what I mean by excel is the ones that seem to have the most profundity of when you're actually having a dialogue where there's the most reflection and introspection and perhaps leaving on a, on a in a place of doubt mm. seem to be the, the supernatural claims. That's kind of what I meant there. Okay. Um, so this so, isn't this, there, there's actually a common misconception that comes up a lot where, yeah, a lot of people think that we're not interested in facts. Mm. So because there was a little bit of confusion there, I just want to make sure I touch on that. Yeah. If somebody says that they have facts to back up their view, we're very interested in it, in exploring those facts. If it really is the reason why you're thinking something is true. So if you say, well, I have facts that back this up. And a simple question like, if we discover together that those aren't, those aren't good facts, that that what you thought was a fact is in fact not a fact. Mm. Would you lower your confidence at all in the claim? And some people will say, well, no, I wouldn't budge at all. So there's something else probably propping it up. Mm -hmm. It's very helpful to kind of repeat that little exchange there to figure out the real reason that's propping it up. So now if somebody says, absolutely, I have facts that back this up. If the facts showed otherwise, I would lower my confidence in this position. Then we're definitely interested in reviewing those facts. But we don't just want to chase facts because somebody said, I have a factual basis for thinking that this is true. We want to make sure that they really do. And if they, if they think that they do, if they think their confidence in the claim is, is contingent on those facts, then we absolutely want to go with them there to look at those. Okay. I, so I, I was really glad, and I know you, you, you listened back, you listened to those two episodes. So you heard what my comments were as I was watching you with those uh, Mormon missionaries. I did. I did. Um, and I, I didn't take any notes, but I 
I have a couple of ideas in my head, but I'm oh, good. Just, if you have something written down, we can go through it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, got, I've, got, I've got a few things written down. Um, but I appreciate you going through and, and, and watching them and doing all the editing and putting them up. Oh, there. I love it. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I, no, I absolutely love it. And I, I'd love to go and do that with you sometime. I think oh, that would be man. a blast. I, I, loved, I, I love stopping and talking to people on the street. I would love to do that with you. I've, I've been doing that a little bit more and more with people, and yeah. it's becoming a little bit easier, especially in this spot. Yeah. Um, People How, how's how's your your GoFundMe? It looks like you've almost hit your goal. You're pretty close. Yeah, I haven't checked it lately, but I think we're we're maybe eight hundred dollars short of five thousand dollars to send me to Utah to go out sometime during general conference. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd love to come. I, I I may be able to go up there and and uh, spend some time with you. When, oh my gosh, yeah, Glenn, that'd be cool. Oh, yeah, when we hit the goal, I think it's pretty likely yeah. we're going to. But yeah. when we hit it, I'd like to get together with a few people who are familiar with the area and be really strategic about it and pick a yeah. good time and then uh, get some talks in for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like it's a, real, it's a real, um, I don't want to say circus sounds kind of uh, demeaning, but from what I understand, there are other people that go there to try to protest the general circus conference. Circus isn't a bad idea. I mean, it's been a long time since <laughs> I've gone to a general conference and I think they're more strict now about um who they let on the temple grounds um mm -hmm. b because i know there have been people who have done protests of different different sorts and so they're they're kind of anticipating that but there's places okay. to go um and, and i'm sure you're already in touch with with some people who know uh where some of those places uh are but yeah. um because i'm not if you can make, if you can meet so me up there dude that would be that'd be cool yeah. i'd love to do yeah, that yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd even just to hang out yeah so, so what I, what I was going to ask, and this, this is one of the questions that I kept coming back to in both of those, um, like what really is the end game? Like when, when you say, wow, that was a really successful discussion mm -hmm. and you used the, the football metaphor and I asked in the first one what a touchdown was and then completely, you know, like you had already done this <laughs> in the second one. You're like, it's the touchdown is uh, clarity. Yep. It's it's if they walk away with a good sense of clarity as to why they believe what they believe, then that's a, that's a touchdown. So I was I had that in mind as you were talking about um, the the facts of climate change or Earth, it, but then they really excel when it's the supernatural claims because mm -hmm. if they walk away for it less from the conversation less certain than they mm -hmm. did, it seemed like that's also a measure of success, mm -hmm. and and that's not necessarily the same thing as clarity as to why they believe. So I take that and run with it. Here's the ball. Yeah, I handed it off to you, Anthony. <laughs> the football field metaphor. Yeah. You know, when I first did the interview, the first one with the two Mormons, and I was talking about the football field metaphor, um, as I was editing it later, I thought, oh, people are going to get confused on this because they may think that that the end zone is a complete abandonment of the view or something. Mm. So I flashed something up on the screen to say, I'm talking about clarity here. And then when mm. I ran into them again, I thought, Ooh, this is a good opportunity to clarify what my, I meant by that. But I might actually have 10 or 15 goals when I'm engaging with somebody mm. during a conversation and the, the, the strength and weakness or hmm, the weight of those goals is probably also fluctuating during the conversation. Mm. One of those goals might actually be, hmm, it doesn't seem like they have a good reason or a method, and I want to help them figure out that that, that's, that seems to be the case. Mm -hmm. Okay, And maybe if they figure that out, they may actually back off of their confidence. That, that could be one of my goals. You can't, or maybe my, another goal might be, I want to end this on a really good note where they feel like I really listened to them. Yeah. Or I want to learn something. Right. So I might have a series of goals, but 
I don't think you can achieve any of those goals without having clarity, without having an understanding of where each of you are coming from. So that's, that's a big one that tends to influence a lot of the other things. It's not the one and only goal like, oh, you know, I want to make sure that you, we have this very crystal clear understanding of, of your views. I also want you to, to, um, to maybe leave with a pebble. Mm, yeah, the, the pebble of doubt in the shoe. Exactly. Yeah. Put it up on the shelf, like I often hear in the, in the LDS community. Like yeah. That whole, that whole thing. I think there's value. I think I even told them this. I think there's value in surfacing even, even poorly thought out reasons. Might, it might be useful to still bring them up because we can figure out that maybe those aren't so, maybe that's not the best argument to lead with. Maybe I should lead with something else. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what, what, as, as we're having this conversation here tonight, Anthony, what, what goals do you have? What, what would be a touchdown? What would be a success for us tonight? I got the sense from listening to both of the reviews that you did that it didn't meet your expectation in some way. That, oh, really? That maybe it, yeah, I, I got the sense that you were non, non-phased by it or sort of like, uh, just another exchange with an atheist and a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't know, like this, this, that, that type of exchange just seems so unique to me. And, and oh, that was the other thing. Yeah. I felt like it was extremely productive. And mm. the sense that I got from you, at least maybe after the first one was, eh, <laughs> yeah, these, right? these young boys didn't really know where the hell you were coming from. You were talking yeah. past each other. And I do think that happened a little bit, but I, I thought that, I thought that both conversations were extremely good, but I got the sense that maybe you weren't completely there. And I wanted to figure out that would be my end zone okay. here is like, well, what didn't Glenn like about it? What, <laughs> yeah. what does Glenn think that I could have done better? <laughs> yeah. Because if I do hit this goal and I end up in Utah having 50 conversations, I want this feedback to get better. Mm. You know, so okay. I'm looking for growth here. That's, okay. that's my goal. Cool. Cool. I, I like that. I, I'm sorry that it came across that um, there was something lacking for me. I didn't feel like I, I was really engaged hmm. um, with all of it, especially the second one. I really liked, I really liked seeing... And it was mainly hearing because I didn't really watch either of them. I, I, I grab the audio and then I, I do it all through audio. Yeah. So I'm listening yep. to it and then I stop and I talk. But, but I, I felt that there was a camaraderie that was building between you and especially the, 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 the missionary that was there for both mm-hmm. exchanges. Mm-hmm. And I thought that his companion um, in the second one was more interested. He was the one that said that he studied – uh world religions before or was that the one that was there for both times do you remember no no no. i think i think the one that studied world histories world religions, world religions was, before is... was the guy wearing the white shirt they were both wearing white shirts <laughs> and, the and the one. black name tag the, the, the new guy haircut. in the second the new guy in the second he was the new guy he was the one that was only in the second one yeah yeah that's yeah. that's that's what i thought just just from the voice but i i i really liked i i liked um that you that you guys were developing a friendship and um, a, a mutual respect, even though I I do think that there was a lot of talking kind of past each other, um, for sure. But but you know, like like coming closer in in that that uh, I, I I really liked that part of it. So it's funny. I actually went there about a week after because the holidays were coming up. I have to look and see when I recorded that one. I think it was like two or three weeks before Christmas, and I went back there hopefully, you know, hoping to get another interview. But if I saw them, I wanted to invite them to the house for the holidays. Cool. I figured they're away from home. 
I mean, if they were my They would have loved that, man. They don't get a lot of those. (laughs) I would have loved it too. And and we would have had fun. And we probably wouldn't have even talked about religion or atheism. And I just wanted to Mm. open up my doors to them. But I I didn't see them. But they're nice. They're really nice guys. They're they're really nice. And they would have definitely wanted to share a message with with you. Could we leave you with a message and something? You know, they would have asked you if you could pray. And, you know, they've been really interested in your kids and your wife. Mm. And, you know, I, but I don't, I, you know, like, I don't think there's anything sinister with that. It's just, that's what they're, they've dedicated their time to do. And they really believe that deep down in your soul of souls, Anthony, that you want to hear the truth that they have. And that you'd like, that that the reason that you're out there asking these questions is because you're looking for what it is that they have. Mm -hmm. And that eventually they'll break, they'll be able to melt the icy exterior and get through and, you know, like the Grinch's heart will grow three times, you know, because of their message. That's, that's the, that's the way that the missionary mind works. Um, it all fits together. Now those feelings I had, I lived before I came here. Please dear father. What are these feelings? I am a son of God. I have a destiny and eternal purpose. Feelings of forever come so very strong. Yeah. Okay. All right. We interrupt this conversation with Anthony Magnaposco to give you a public service am- announcement from from God. Really. Um, I, I I just wanted to to, to butt in here, Anthony. Uh, this is primarily for you and for uh, your listeners. For for your people who follow street epistemology that are interested in listening to this interview and might not really know that much about Mormons, I want to double-click on this idea here. Just to give you a little bit of education. So when you meet the missionaries, they believe... Any, any Mormon, really. We believe, Mormons, we believe, I say we, that we lived before we came here. There was a, a pre-mortal existence where the personality that you are here lived as, in a spirit form in heaven with God. And all of your family members, all of your friends, you all knew each other. But in, in coming to earth, you, you pass through this veil of forgetfulness. So we don't remember what our pre-mortal life was like. I've seen that smile somewhere before. I've heard that voice before. It It seems seems we've we've talked like this before. Sometimes who can be certain when? But if I knew you then, it's strange I can't remember. Um, but we we made agreements with people, and um, so a missionary meeting you, you know, when when missionaries go out, they they are told m- many times throughout their life, really, that you're going to be meeting people that you knew in the pre-existence that don't remember, and part of what you're doing is giving them the truth to help them wake up to the the remembrance of who they were. Elder. That guy over there. Yeah, what about him? Every time we've come to this park, he's been on that bench drawing. 
Yeah, I almost introduced myself once, but I thought, nah, he's not the type. Well, better late than never, Elder. And, you know, part of what's so special about being a Mormon is that you know. You, you know, you, you've had this, you know, yeah, you've gone through the, the veil of forgetfulness, so you don't really remember, but you know that it happened, and that's a, that's a great gift, and you can give that gift to other people so that they know too. So, you know, the, the, the thought that the missionaries would come to your house for the holidays and, you know, not talk about their religion, you know, th- this, is, this is what they put their entire life on hold for two years to do is to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ that you lived before you came here there's a plan to get back everybody can be sealed together for all time and all eternity and they've got the secrets on how to do it and so the 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 music that I put on here it's from a from a musical that was called Saturday's Warrior that was written in the 70s I think like 1974 there was a recent redo. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, the the original is pretty precious as it is. But Saturday's Warrior tells the story of this family in the pre-existence that then they come to Earth and they've forgotten some of the promises that they made before, and some of them lose their way. Pam, why do these things happen? I don't know all the reasons, Emily, but a lot of it has to do with free agency. My free agency says I want to go down to this family, not to another one. Oh, Jimmy, why didn't you keep your promise? Who am I? Where am I going? Here I sit all alone, not knowing why. There's stuff in there about missionaries. Well, here it is, jumping off point. And here we are, one breath away from a sick world that's been crying out for what we can give it. Truth, freedom, salvation. Can you see the headlines now, brother? Two humble missionaries convert thousands. City translated overnight. Green, we're destined to be the greatest team of missionaries the world has ever known. Whatever you say, Kessler. Are you with me, brother? Whatever you say, Kessler. We are not the ordinary, fearlessly extraordinary, working righteous Harry Carey in our humble way. You know, we, we did an episode many years ago that was a sing-along smackdown of Saturday's Warrior. I think I'm going to reissue that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reissue that one, the episode after this one. So if, if anybody's listening to this that's interested in hearing more about this this. Uh, aspect of Mormonism and how it's been portrayed in a musical and you want to hear myself and a few other Infants on Thrones panelists uh, talking about it and mocking it and singing along with it. (laughs) It was a fun episode. I'll publish that next. But um, yeah, so I'll get back to the conversation now. Isn't there someone with a hand to spare? Well, that actually reminds me, I was going to ask you, do you think it was a bad idea to not take the Book of Mormon when they offered it to me in the first exchange? Uh, I don't No, I don't think it was a bad idea. I, I mean, you were honest for the same reason you didn't take the Jesus picture. You're like, yeah, no, I'm not really that interested in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you had taken it, um, they would have wanted you to read it and given you certain passages to read. And then the next time you met, they'd follow up. And maybe, maybe you do do that. I mean, yeah. 
why, why not add this as part of your, um, you know, follow up with them, schedule some appointments, have them teach you the discussions and go through the discussions and ask if you can record it and publish it on your channel. And mm. that could be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think they would do it. I, I don't know what the politics in the mission are, though, if, if like one of their district leaders or zone leaders or the mission president caught wind of it, if they would be too happy with it. But, um, oh, well, I, I, I do, I do want to address um, the, the, that feeling that you had that I was um, like not satisfied with it or not, or not happy with it. I, <laughs> I think that, maybe, I think maybe it's I'm just be, I, I tend to be too I tend to be really hard on myself and uh, self critique so that that I may be reading some of that into it. But. I I think it's just my because I've I really dedicated my life to studying Mormons and, and Mormon mm. culture and like this stuff that when I see that you're scratching the surface but it could go deeper. That's probably what it was is like, yes. I was wishing it would go deeper yes, instead of yes. like moving on to another kind of surface level thing. Oh, but, but um, what is deeper to you? Because, uh, well, yeah. What, what's deeper to you? Then I, I want to ask you something. Deeper to, to me is when they say something to you that you don't really understand what they're talking about. Um, like when they mentioned the word of wisdom, you know, that, that in the mm -hmm. first, in the first exchange that, um, second elder said that his test was the way that he lived his life, um, you know, contrary to the standards of the gospel. And he started talking about the word of wisdom and rather than asking, okay, say, what is the word of wisdom? How was mm. this? Um, you know, how was this actually a test for you? To me, that would be digging deeper mm -hmm. instead of like searching for another reason or another claim or something like yeah. that or, or wherever the conversation went. No, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Well, one of the challenges that, that, that there's a big factor here is that I'm talking to two people. Yeah. And I, in uh, real time, in real time, with all so, of this other chaos going on around you. Yeah. And, yeah. and people that don't want you on the campus <laughs> and people, you know, coming into the discord server without their microphone muted and getting a blast of some radio or something. Right. Right. So right. yeah, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot going on, yeah. but when you're talking to two, I think it's harder to make progress with, uh, with either one of them. So that was probably a little bit of factor. So like mm. I may have like gotten, okay, the words of wisdom from one person. Then I might say, okay, well, we've heard from you for a little bit. Maybe we can go, what mm. was the words of wisdom a factor? Was faith a factor in your yeah. journey? So I was trying to, trying to get a sort of a balanced um, sure. interview to make sure that both of them felt included. Yeah. So that's, that's a little bit of a factor. But the other thing too, this is another thing I noticed is that when I meet people like yourself who you're really, you're likely really well versed in what the Book of Mormon says. You've probably been studying it. You know the history of it, mm -hmm. and you have this vast body of knowledge. Right. I'm not interested in that yeah. with them. Right. And unless it's unless it's tied to their reasons why they think it's true or their method. Like I was really interested in their verse that says you can test the book. Yeah. I'm really interested in their in their process for validating that that really is the confirmation that shows that the book is true. But all that other stuff, like your history, the history mm -hmm. of the religion or anything, that's why I didn't take the book. I'm not interested in what it says. I'm interested in reasons and method. But, but, even, but even then, I, I don't feel like you really got what that process was. No, no. Well, no, not really. It's still kind of vague to me. Yeah. And like I said at the end of the first conversation, I'm still not sure if testing is important or not mm. when it comes to this. But there was a really big reveal during that first talk where one of the guys said, I think he was wearing a blue jacket at the time. 
the guy that was in both interviews, mm -hmm. he said something like, if we realized that we couldn't perform an adequate test on this book, it would be an opinion like the magic treehouse. That was important. That's why I was thinking, I don't know why, I don't know why I'm getting the impression that Glenn didn't think that this was productive because I thought it was extremely productive. Like I really do think we moved the ball down the field mm. quite a bit in terms of clarity. And what, if we had, what do you think he was saying by that? What do you think he meant by that? I took it literally that if he realized that he can't adequately test that the book of Mormon is true, it's, it has the same footing as a comic book or a kid's book or something. Yeah. But, but I, but is I, he saying something else? What I think he's saying is, um, since the Book of Mormon obviously is not like a comic book, then we uh, must be able to test it and have it be that way. Otherwise, it would be, you know. So I, uh -huh. I, I don't, I don't feel like that was really him acknowledging. Yeah, it is important to test this because if it if it doesn't pass the test, then it's really no, see, no greater I, than. Like I, thought, I, I, I don't thought think it was that's what he really meant. <laughs> oh, really? So well, I can only go off of what people tell me, and yeah. of course, I could still be misinterpreting what they're saying. Yeah. At one point, I was like you'll have to translate for me because I think I don't speak your language. And I yeah. think there's some of that going on too. Yeah. Just didn't know the lingo. Well, we've, we've got, we've got a few people that are sitting in here before I jump into the questions that I have for you. I'm going to open it up here. Okay. Nick, Allie, Meg, and, and do any of you have anything that you want to say to Anthony? I'm going to stay focused. All right. It looks like they just want to listen. That's good. All right. So the first question Fine. that I wrote down time for us, I know <laughs> the first question that I wrote down um, was why did you bleep out the missionary names? Was that something that you just made that call or they asked you to? Great question. So my intent all along was to beep out their names and blur out their name tags. So I, that video probably would have been out three weeks earlier if I hadn't wasted all my time trying to figure out and getting other people involved to try to figure out how to blur their name tags. <laughs> so the beeping was easy yeah. and the beeping stayed in. Yeah but the blurring fell off. I was like, I just can't, this is like taking, I've spent 40 hours trying to make this happen. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can't really see them anyway. Anyways, they, they were also seemingly proud to have their names being shown. Yeah. So in the end I was like, well, it is our last names, but they said that they're okay with it. So I'm going to just go ahead and do it. But I still yeah. felt I was fine with the beeping but the blurring just never happened. What, but, and, and, and why, what's the, what, why did you bleep their names? Okay. This is the real reason. Uh -huh. I, this is it. I suspect that they may not be Mormons forever. Mm. Like there's a chance that they may not be a Mormon, let's say in 10 years. And now you have a video with their, their last name out there. Like they will be a Mormon on the, on the internet, on the YouTube channel, on that video forever but they may not be a Mormon in real life forever. Interesting. So that was sort of my thinking too. Like, okay, these guys get older, they start getting jobs, whatever. They're not part of the LDS church anymore. That might be sort of an albatross around their neck that they maybe didn't want. But I did try, I did do a good faith effort to try to obscure yeah. it. So you, you were prophesying in a sense. <laughs> I was hypothesizing. Hypothesizing. Yeah. yeah. I, I did that. I did that when I named my son, um, I, I named him Jonas, which is the, the name of my great-great-grandfather who was the first Ostland to, to join the Mormon church, like in the late 1800s in Sweden. And so I named my son Jonas, thinking that'll be a nice bookend. 
Nice. For him to be the last. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and I, didn't, out, huh? I didn't tell my wife at the time. That's why I, I'm suggesting <laughs> Jonas. I've told him since. He, he just turned 16 yesterday. And um, mm. he doesn't really want to have anything to do with the church. So it worked. So who knows? You might be right about these missionaries. And in 10 years, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll go back and they'll look at that and, and laugh. Hopefully. Hopefully they, they look at it fondly and think, oh, that was a... Maybe it was a turning point in their journey. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, it, maybe it entrenched them even further. Maybe they're getting reamed out by higher ups for having done it or something. But honestly, I thought in both exchanges, they did a very good job of presenting themselves. They did. And yeah. just, they just seemed like such nice guys. They are. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, that, that sure. came through. Yeah. Clearly. All right. Um, another um, another uh, question that I had, this was from the first video. I went on this long tangent about the Brothers Grimm and the way that they would collect their data. Um, one thing I didn't mention in that was they couldn't just write something down because their audience was illiterate. So they had to say, they had to ask them, you know, tell me some stories. Do, do you ever think uh, that the way that you present yourself to these people that you're talking to biases their answers? Like, especially if you're like warning them ahead of time, hey, I'm not here to destroy your beliefs. I'm not here oh, to make you look right, foolish. Right, right, right. Okay. So this is so funny because like the pendulum is really swung in the opposite mm -hmm. direction. The, the, the pendulum was way on the side of try to get video examples and don't disclose anything about what you're doing because you don't want to skew them. Mm -hmm. And well, at least that's how I approached it. Like what's the bare amount I, I, I need to say? in order to get somebody to stop so I can practice this approach. Yeah. But then when you start uploading videos, you get people who say, well, why don't you explain what you're doing or tell them that you're doing street epistemology? Why not maybe give them a heads up that you plan on challenging their beliefs? So suddenly you start getting all this, what I think is valuable feedback of here's how you can make it better. So it doesn't seem like you're tricking anybody. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good advice. But sometimes I think maybe the pendulum has gone a little bit too far where now I'm getting feedback. And it sounds like that's what you're doing here. Maybe a little bit of why are you saying all this stuff? You know, you, you might actually be putting them on the defensive. If you, if you say, if you give them too much warning Yeah. and I, it's, I have to kind of smile to myself when I get that kind of feedback. Cause I'm like, okay, well maybe we went a little bit too far. Maybe we need to swing back just a little bit. Yeah. And I, and I don't really know if there's like a happy medium. I'm just curious from your experience with these, you know, nearly 2000, interviews that you've done as the pendulum mm -hmm. has swung back and forth. Have you seen a difference at all in, in the way that people respond? If you give a lot of exposition, if you give a little, ah. to, little to none, have you, do you see a difference there? Well, I don't, I don't often go back to look at the old stuff and I don't really remember too much about it. I, okay. I get the way that I go about my interviews, it's, it's sort of a constant evolution. So if, if it seems like something's not working, I usually go back to what I'm doing or experiment with something else. And I, I don't feel the need to go back to under explaining. So mm -hmm. it seems like it's, it's a, we're at a decent level here. The other yeah. consideration though, is that it's not, I'm not only talking to the two Mormons. Yeah. I'm talking to the thousands that will be watching it. Yeah. So when you hear me explain what I'm doing, that's that, yes, that's for the, those guys, yeah. but it's for the people who might be watching this for their first video of SE. Right. And it might become a little redundant for the people who watch a lot of them and like, mm. why is he explaining again? <laughs> well, it's for other people who might be watching this. Sure. So it's sort of a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and then this, this is the last question that I had about that first video. You said something 
Um, when, when the missionary was telling you that he, um, he, he, he prayed, he, he followed what the Book of Mormon said, and he prayed, he did that test. And I think he asked you if you'd be willing to do that test or what you thought of it. And, and you said that you find it disturbing when someone says that they assume that something is true and then they test to find out whether it is or not. Okay. And that, and that did, that sound, that seemed a little strange to me because I, I think a lot of times people assume something that's true and then they test to find mm. out if their assumptions right or not. Okay. To be clear, I think I confirmed to them that I am willing to perform their test, but right. my concern would be what I think they were saying is that they started with the assumption that the God was real. Yeah. And then they set out to test the book. Mm. I believe that's what they said. Okay. And that's where, that's where sort of my hackles went up a little bit to say, well, I, and, and these things are playing out in real time and I, I'm yeah. not as careful with my wording then in the moment that I probably should be considering now that so many people are watching them. Um, what I was attempting to say there that is that, and I was thinking about this example prior to this interview with you to mm -hmm. roll it out and see what you think. So let's say that um, maybe I think my spouse is cheating on me. Okay. Okay. Um, if I start with the assumption that she is, and then I happen to notice the back door being unlocked, it might actually skew my perception of why that back door is unlocked. In, you know, as opposed to me saying, I wonder if this, if my spouse is having an affair, oh, the door is unlocked. I might be a little bit more mm, discriminating when I notice things, when I, when I discover something that might be a bit of evidence to help me in this journey of figuring out what's really happening. So that's what I was trying to say there. Mm -hmm. When you start with the assumption that, some, that something is real and true, it could possibly bias Absolutely. the way that you're going about confirming the stance yeah. that you've already formed. So, so that's, that's what I was yeah. trying to. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's confirmation bias. Yeah. In a nutshell. But you, you actually raised a, raise a really good point. Like, why don't you just explain what confirmation bias is? Maybe they've never heard of it. Yeah. So well, I'm sure they've never other, heard of there's it. There's another dynamic going on here where I'm, fi I'm going on 50. I'll be 50 this year. They're what, maybe 18, 19, 20? Yeah, right. So a lot of that talking past each other might just be our understanding of the way the world just works. So, Yeah, or even what the world is. Yeah. Um, because I... I this is a blanket statement that isn't going to be true for every single missionary. But I think when when you encounter um, Mormon missionaries in the future, I think it's a pretty safe assumption to think uh, they they've been pretty sheltered. I mean, you know, I I don't know how true that is anymore because when when I was growing up, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Google. I couldn't I couldn't get on and really find out things that they have access to today. But but mo especially if they're from Utah, like these missionaries were, that their their families most likely all Mormon, their friends are most likely all Mormon. When they went to school, they mostly probably hung out with other Mormon kids. They saw them at church on Sunday every week. They had weekly mm -hmm. activities with them. When they read books, you know, they didn't see movies that are frowned upon by Mormons. They didn't read books that are frowned upon by Mormons. You know, so mm -hmm. the the understanding of the world has a pretty thick cultural, like Mormon cultural membrane around it and mm -hmm. uh, to, to even where words like test might mean something different. Yes. That word. Okay. So if you're any, if, if anyone listening to this is one of the 300 people that emailed me or messaged me to say, 
I think you guys were talking past each other when you were talking about tests. Yeah. Yes, I know that. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we were. And I, I think I even made a tweet or, or post some, somewhere saying, it, and this was before I uploaded the videos, it never occurred to me that it might make sense it might never occur to me that it might be necessary to actually d discuss what a test is. Yeah. And that was one of my learning moments from these two interviews. Like, Oh yeah. wow. Like, no, we, we need to really talk about what constitutes a good test Yeah. before talking anything about all about the book of Mormon and, and the spiritual witness and all this other stuff. And, and I think that the technique of restating and like asking for clarification, um, would, would would help there. So when you're saying test, like, what do you, what do you mean by test? I mean, cause especially mm -hmm. in the second interview, um, talk like explaining to them about how a test needs to be falsifiable. Right. Like, what? well, here's the, this <laughs> yeah. is, this is the interesting thing. Like you've been, we've been doing this. I've been doing this for six or seven years now. Yeah. Thousands of conversations. The evolution of my journey has been to to not use the word falsifiable and mm -hmm. use the word test because a lot of people, they hear falsifiable, they tend to think that I'm calling their belief false. Right. Yeah. And they get hung up on that. Yeah. So shifting to testing has been, well, seemingly like an improvement of this approach yeah. when you're starting to talk about it. But it never dawned on me that there might be some confusion about that word. So yeah, talking about what it, let's, let's talk, talk about how we might, how are you defining the word test? Yeah. For one thing, they may say, it's when you get on your knees and you call to God. Like they're talking about an action of prayer or something. Or, you know, I, I think even at one point in the first conversation, the guy was, it seemed like he may have been saying that a test is like the ordeal, the difficulty that you may be happening to be personally be going through. That's oh, the test. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's a test of my patience. It's a test mm. of my faith. Yeah. Where I'm thinking, no, like, how could we actually look at the coin to see if it's heads, heads or tails? Yeah. 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 I want to, I, I want to read um, a, a message from, one of my listeners, his name is Oren, and I sent this to you earlier today, so you've seen this, but he makes seven points, and, and this idea of testing is part of them. So the first one, he says, the LDS church claims that prayer uh, is the way to verify and falsify the truth of all things. And then he provides this scripture in Moroni 10.5, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. And he says, I don't think the missionaries explained that well enough for Anthony to understand. Well, I think it, it may have been helpful if they surfaced it, if they thought it would clear up any miscommunication that we were having about the word test. But yeah. I, I don't think they understood it well enough even to go in. And mm -hmm. it, like what, what Oren's bringing up here, I, I used to bring up too when I was a member that, that there's a way to test things to pray and ask if something's true. And I think he makes this in this next point. Um, mm. The LDS church claims that the burning in the bosom verifies, and then he uses another scripture, if it's right, I will cause your bosom shall burn within you. But if you have no such feelings, which is called a stupor of thought, that's the falsifiable. Behold, you have not understood. You have supposed that I would give it unto you when you took no thought save it was to ask me. But behold, I say unto you, that you must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore you shall feel that it is right. But if it be not right, you shall have no such feelings. But you shall have a stupor of thought that shall cause you to forget the thing which is wrong. That, that's saying, I think that this is true 
give me a confirmation if this is true or not. And yeah. then if there's like, uh, or like, like little mini amnesia <laughs> that happens, you just like God will strike it from you and you won't, that that's the way for, for the Holy Ghost to tell you that something's not true. So that oh, didn't come out at all what? in oh, your no. conversation. See, now if, if I had understood that that's what they were saying, it seems to me like they're saying, well, you still need, um, they're asserting that the Holy Ghost is real. <laughs> yes, what, right. So I, th I probably would have said, well, how can we figure out that the Holy Ghost is real? Yeah. But then they may say, well, then you get this feeling of confusion when you ask for an answer and you don't get it immediately or something. Oh, I think I think you you would have just handed them a stupor of thought if you would have asked them how can you know that the Holy Ghost is real because <laughs> there's no answer for that. It's just well I feel it. Okay, what what is it that you feel? I feel right. the feelings of the Holy Ghost. Well, how do you know that that's the Holy Ghost? Because it's the Holy Ghost. It's what I've been told. It's what yeah I've been told this my whole life. It's the Holy Ghost. This is a question I was thinking about asking them or or others, and I, I wanted to see what you thought or maybe your listeners. Uh, it, it, it dawns on me that there must be people who sit in, you call it church, yeah. you sit in the church and you're listening to the testimonies of other people. Mm -hmm. Has it ever dawned on you as you're listening to the testimony of somebody like, I don't know about that one. Like mm -hmm. all those other ones. Yeah, absolutely. The Holy Spirit. But that one, could it have just been her cat or something like would there be value in asking people to relate a story where they themselves were wondering if somebody else had actually received the, the, the witness, the spiritual mm. witness? Yeah. All right. Do, do, do you have your, your notepad out? Here, here's, here's what you want to ask them. <laughs> ask them about a fast and testimony meeting. Because oh. on, on the first month of every Sunday, um, I think this still goes on. I've, it's been so long since I've gone to a Mormon church, but it's, it's, it's fast Sunday. So they go without eating. And then it's, it's like open mic day at church where anybody can get up and share their testimony mm -hmm. with the rest of the ward, with the rest of the con congregation. And notoriously there are nut jobs that even Mormons will acknowledge, oh yeah, when brother so-and-so gets up, it's always some kind of weepy, mm. crazy story. This is their therapy session. Here it's kind of group again. therapy in, yeah. a, in a sense. So if, if you meet um, missionaries or, or, or Mormons again, and you ask them, uh, you know, what, what are some of the, the, the talks that you hear about or some of the testimonies that people share in fast and testimony mm -hmm. meeting? Mm -hmm. um, and they, they might, you know, because especially if it's a missionary, they're, they're going to be really um, aware that they're representing the church and they don't want to right. say anything that might make it look bad. Yeah. But the, but that one missionary did say crazy a couple of times, which I loved <laughs> yeah. it. You know, I, I just had to catch that. that. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, I suppose I could put them on the spot or they might feel that they're on the spot if they're being asked to relate a time where they were listening to somebody give their testimony and they just thought, there's something off about that. So maybe mm -hmm. I can diffuse that a little bit, but yeah. I think it would be worth asking them. Right. That person really thinks that that was the Holy spirit that came to them. Yeah. They, they're, con they're now convinced that this is real. Right. Could they be mistaken? Yeah. And if they, if they can be mistaken, is it possible that you could be right? Yeah. I, I, I think, 
I think <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm thinking of scriptures right now that talk about like how the devil leads people down to hell with the flax in court. <laughs> and, and like, yeah. that's kind of the, the approach here that I think you have that, that the way that you just said it is very quick and very direct and might not be very effective. Really? Uh, whereas if, if you, showed interest oh yeah tell me about some of these stories that you hear um mm, oh I see. and and you kind of let it happen organically where you go oh mm. well what did you think about when they told their because so i i i heard a woman get up and bear her testimony once and i was very judgmental when i would hear people say things over the pulpit and she was talking about like her whole message was be careful what you pray for because um you know you're gonna get an answer like no matter what it is, you're going to get an answer. And then she shared these stories of like absolutely horrific things where like a family couldn't make their mortgage and they prayed that they would be able to make their mortgage. And the next day, their youngest child got hit by a car and died and they collected on the insurance money and they were able to pay their mortgage. So be careful what you pay for, pray for, you know, another one where there's like her dad, they, they went to see her, her dad at a church softball game but he wasn't playing. He was sitting on the bench. And so she said a prayer, you know, heavenly father, please, please bless that My dad will be able to get into the game. Mm -hmm. And the very next play, somebody slid into second base, hit the second baseman, broke his leg and that he had to leave the field and her dad was able to go in. But at what expense it had to, you know, wow. God had to break somebody's leg in order for her, her dad to get in to answer her prayer. So be careful what you pray for. Yeah. So there, there's, there's things like that, that I'm sure the missionaries will have heard and kind of had kind of a dubious response to. That's what I want to leverage off of. Yeah. Right. But it's got to come up naturally and they've yes. got to feel like it, they're not, it, it, there's nothing threatening about them sharing that with you. Right. Um, and, and I, I, an area that and, and as soon as you with. come back at them and you're like, yeah, so, so they thought, so she thought that that was true about God answering the prayer, but you know, do you think that was true? Mm. You know, oh, well, if she was wrong, could you be wrong about things? And it was mm. like, we're not friends anymore. Mm. You know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe I have to play a, a, you know, go a little, spend a little more time, more time building rapport, listening to, yeah. to what's driving all of this. Yeah. The other thing, you know, that I'm keeping in mind is, well, how long is this video going to be? Right. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, I'm, I'm out there recording this to teach people how to do this. So that's yeah. at the back of my mind too. Mm -hmm. Like it, maybe we could have done a three hour conversation and then, had the same amount of questions that you saw in one of the two videos, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, that, that actually is an approach that I would probably recommend. And I have recommended with people that are doing this with family members. Mm -hmm. When you value the relationship more, you have to take a longer approach to it. You just can't be rushing through it. Uh, strangers on the street, you know, yeah. filming it, I kind of zip through it, but you're right. It probably would be more effective if I listened to them. So they thought that they were being heard. And then ask those questions. I think yeah. there might be something to that. I, yeah, and and I and I think also like listening, like, like listening for the claim, and instead of just kind of like assuming at the front that we're talking about the claim that your God is real, that sounds really weird to a to, to a Mormon, to my Mormon ears, assuming that your God is real. Like, first of all, your God, what? It's just God. <laughs> Assuming that your God is real, what? I, uh -huh. he, he is, what? Well, just I've been doing weird. this for seven, eight years. I'm yeah. kind of, I'm, maybe I'm in a little bit of a bubble in the, in the language that I, <laughs> that I use. Um, this, was, this was a clash of cultures that you watched play out. Yeah. And, and even um, our ages were different. And I mean, we really didn't have that much in common other than we spoke English, mm. you know, and we were breathing oxygen. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's challenging. I, yeah, you you, it, it's 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 baffling to me, honestly, that we could get so hung up on language. Oh, we, language yeah. is so tricky, um, and it's so easy to to be talking past each other, like we were talking about with the word test. But you know, yeah. I want, this is I want good, to talk but, about language a little bit, but, I, but I'm not quite ready to bring up language. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. We can go as long um, as you want. Yeah, so in the, in the second video, um, I, I wrote down a few questions here, and, and I don't know how, how much you want to get into any of this or not, but um, my question was, how can this. you separate a person's sense of self from their belief? Okay. From Let me be beliefs. clear about that. Yeah. Um, I think I was a little sloppy in how I was wording that. I think the beliefs that we hold are extremely tied to our identity. Yeah. yeah now, when you challenge a person's belief, they, that's what makes them th feel threatened. You're coming after Angel Maroney. You're coming after Joseph Smith. You're coming after yeah. the Book of Mormon. You're coming after the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You're coming after God. Um, when, you, when you challenge beliefs, people feel challenged themselves. Right. So what I think I was trying to convey there that I try to make a distinction between the people that we are and the beliefs that we hold. Now I'm, I'm acutely aware that targeting a person's belief or challenging a person's belief is going to make them feel challenged. What we do in street epistemology is we're not so much interested in the belief claim or the, what they believe we're interested in their method. So when you focus on the method, how are you going about verifying that you have good reasons for thinking that your claim is true? When you focus on methodology and not belief, that's when people seem to be a little more, more open, a little less guarded, a little bit more willing to explore with you how they concluded that this is true. When you touch the, the third rail of, when you talk about the belief, mm -hmm. you're, you're basically, you're talking about them. That's, yeah. that's them. That's their identity. Yeah. So I think what I was, I was trying to explain there, because I think one of, the, one of the guys was encouraging me, or at least giving me permission to bash Right. Yeah. yeah Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really want to bash the belief. And I was like, well, the belief might be problematic, but I respect you as a person. Mm -hmm. I see those as two distinct entities, but absolutely they're very in, enmeshed and very intertwined together. What, One what, of the things we recognize when we're doing street epistemology. What, why do you think that missionary said that to you? Like, go ahead and, and bash us. Don't hold back. Somebody messaged me to say that they thought this is a person who's very in touch with the, the Mormon community. I think his, his hypothesis was that they may have wanted me to bash it a little bit because maybe it would have been a little bit easier to engage with me about their doctrine if I had. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like maybe, maybe it would have been more productive for them to be engaging with an irate, angry, rude, bashing atheist as opposed to this polite guy who's asking all these nice questions and giving me plenty of time to think about things. But I don't know. I don't know if it was quite that strategic, but I don't yeah. know. Why, why, would a, why would a Mormon missionary encourage you to bash? Did, did he really want me to talk about magic underwear? I mean, I don't think that would have been productive. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of uh, discussions they get about the, the magic underwear, the garments, but I, maybe they thought that they were just stronger in that area and they wanted to sort of, that's what I like. My, my, my reaction to that is that that's, he's showing you his unflappability and his confidence in his own beliefs and saying, yeah, you can, you can bash if you want to bash. You don't like, I'm, 
I'm unflappable. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't get under my skin. I, I know this stuff so well. This is so ingrained in me. This is so obviously clearly true. Come at me, go mm-hmm. ahead. I, I think it was more that I don't think he really wanted you to bash. I think he's, he was just mm-hmm. trying to, to tell you that, um, you didn't have to walk on eggshells around him. Let's just have an honest discussion because I've oh. got God on my side and Jesus and I'll, mm. I'll deliver what needs to be delivered. I think I'm, ki- I'm kind of glad that he raised it though, because it gave me an opportunity to explain that I'm not interested in doing that. Yeah. And I, I, I like, I, I really would like to see them as a person. This was the other thing I was wanting to ask you. Yeah. Um, it kind of goes back to the little name tags and last name thing. Yeah. My, my gut, makes me think that it might be more productive in the long term if I if let's say that I had five more conversations with them or whatever if I refer to them by their names and not their last names not their titles mm. is there anything to that um I don't know I I think they they might ask you to call them elder so and so instead mm. of Jim mm. um but you know it, it could be a personal preference as, as well I, uh, it it, it yeah. Um, but you think that it would make it more um, like friendly and less formal to call them by their first names and was, be more was, engaging? Yes, I was thinking a little bit more, uh, less formal, a little bit more friendly, a little bit uh, kind of like how I say like the God or a God yeah. to try to sort of distance themselves from it. Like you're, you're not an elder representing the church, you're Jim. And, and Jim, you know, I want to talk to Jim. I want to talk to Jim who has decided that this is true. Yeah. So I thought there might be some purchase there by going that direction. Yeah. Um, Oren, do you want to come off mute? Uh, yeah. When I was a, a missionary, um, you know, I ran into what we'd call an anti-Mormon, you know, someone that wanted to bash. He was an evangelical Christian variety. And he said, he, he just wanted to say, you know, he, he's asking us to give us, give him his, our first names. I think he wanted to kind of, I felt like he was trying to knock us down a peg to make us, you know, just, just Ryan or Steve or strip you John. of your title or something. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 or not acknowledge uh, your authority as a representative of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I can right, see that. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be a hill that I would die on. So if they said, no, I'd really prefer that you use our, our titles. Yeah. I'd be like, okay. Absolutely. Elder. Yeah. So-and-so. That's what I would suggest is just ask them, you know, what, what, what would you like me to call you? Mm-hmm. Should I call you by your first name or, mm-hmm. and, and, I would be pretty surprised. Much, they were on duty then too. So They're it, always it makes sense. Duty. They're always on duty. <laughs> they're always on duty. Okay. For, the, for the entire two years. Um, if they're out in public, they're on duty. If they're in their apartments mm-hmm. with each other, they might let the, the guard down a little bit. Hmm. Okay. But, um, yeah, pretty much always on duty. Thanks, Orrin. Yeah, thank you, Orrin, for that. Um, okay, here's my next question. <laughs> bring it what <laughs> what would be because this is this is a really funny <laughs> one nervous so what would be what if i did that to the standard if i started truth? laughing if i started laughing as i was asking my questions <laughs> uh, yeah yeah okay what what would be an acceptable standard of truth for the claim that god is real like what what would you find compelling yeah well, the the trite answer that I still it's kind of trite, but it is a good answer is the God would know what it would take. But I think we should say be that prepared. again. I think the God would know what it would take to convince me. You know that, that is that what you're asking me? Yeah, but that's a cop out, Anthony. No, no, what, no, I, what I, would, what no would, I agree. What would it take for you? 
to, yeah, yeah. to, to be like a goal. Because as you're having these conversations and you're asking them, you know, what are the reasons for your belief? And, you know, you, the, the touchdown getting into the end zone is clarity on the reasons. What reasons would be to you, and this kind of came up when they asked you if you were interested in reading the Book of Mormon, and you said, I, I would only do it if your methodology was satisfying mm-hmm. to me. And so mm-hmm. I, well, what, what would that be? What, what kind of answer would be compelling to you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it would have to be a personal experience of some kind that could also be experienced by other people and be repeatable and demonstrable. So something like something that I, I've said in the past, I suppose, is let's go to the nearest cancer ward where there are children dying right now. We will pray to your God or whatever, we can call out to your God or something. And if these children started getting better nearly immediately, or I don't know, within the next 12 hours or something, then it would probably increase my confidence that this God is real. I would move maybe from my one or my two to like maybe a 60 or a 70 or something. Mm-hmm. Like it would move me, but would it move me to a 100? I don't think so. It might move me pretty damn close. But I'm going to have to, I will bring up the trite answer again. A God could get me to 100. I don't know. I don't know if I could ex- adequately explain what would move me up to a 100 because I'd be worried that I was losing my mind or something. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. If you and I went and uh-huh. you prayed to, to the, the, the God of the Book of Mormon and kids started getting better, um, that would move me up. But I'd be wondering if that really was the explanation. Like okay. something's happening. Yeah, you're praying to something. It could be a, a, a trickster god. It could be it could be a completely different god that wants me to think that the god of the Book of Mormon is actually true. Well, but, so, so even even if the god who knows what it would take to convince you, like, opened up the the sp- space time fabric, whatever, and poked his head out and said, "Anthony, here I am. This is me." Would, would, would you still not have the question of, "Oh, maybe that's Loki." Maybe that is the trickster God. How do I know that that one's real? I think there would probably always be a little bit of doubt or questioning in my mm-hmm. mind. I wouldn't be 100% on it, but yeah. it, I'm willing to move up for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. the, 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 the first answer that you gave, I've, I found it really interesting. If I, if I can restate it, if I remember right, you said if, it's, if it was a personal experience, mm-hmm. it's something that could be repeated by others and have the same result. Yes, Dang, you just stepped right into it, man, because that's, that's Moroni 10, 3 through 5. If you pray about this, you'll have a personal uh, experience, this burning in the bosom, confirming that it's true. And how many hundreds of thousands of Mormons claim that they've had that personal experience and that all you have to do is try it and you can have it too. Sure. And there's people that, that, that do with that. Yeah. Yeah, this, that's not compelling, is it? It's not compelling. Why? Because, well, there's a couple of reasons why. And there's the front end of it and there's the back end of it, I think. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been giving this some thoughts since those two videos posted. I think the front end of it is we could, I actually have, I bought a book, The Magic Treehouse, and I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't have it within reach. So I put it out of my bag. Uh-huh. But I actually printed out, it says something like, this book is true. You can test that this book is true by doing X. And if Y happens, you can be sure that this book is true. And I have that printed out. And I don't, I don't know if I'll whip it out. I, I, I'll have to be very careful about how I present that prop. 
But the problem with this, this logic is that we can put that disclaimer on any source. So we can literally put that in, in the, the magic treehouse and go and feel a burning in my bosom that can confirm to me that the magic treehouse is true. So there, there's, a, there's a problem with the source right there because any source can say this and you can give up coffee, you can feel the burning in the bosom and that's your confirmation that the book is true. So we can, we can change the source with anything. So that's the part of it. And then the, the, the flip side of that is there's no question that you probably felt something. I'm, I'm on board with saying you gave up coffee and you felt the burning, but how could we actually be so sure that your explanation is it? Mm-hmm. Because we can look at other people who do exactly what we did and not get the burning, or maybe they did something completely different and got the burning, or they prayed to a completely different God and got the burning. Yeah. So end to end, the steps that it seems that people from the LDS church go to, to verify that their holy book is a source of truth is problematic across the board. For you and, and for, right. and for many like non-Mormons it is, mm-hmm. but, but, but you, you can recognize that for, for these missionaries, especially because this is the story that they've heard and they told you that they did it and they got the burning in the bosom and it's what they expected. And of course we can, we can skeptically go, well, yeah, confirmation bias. You know, you expected that you wanted that you created it, you manufactured it in your body. That doesn't convince me, but it convinces them. And so if you're having the conversation with them and you're saying that, you know, the, the, the touchdown is to have clarity that your methodology was sound Mm-hmm. and that, that, that means it's, it's repeatable. <laughs> you well, know? The, the clarity is whether your methodology, methodology was sound or not. So, yeah. like, but, but, I, but they I'm don't have any optimistic. question that it's sound. Well, right? at the moment, they may not because we didn't really get into the reliability of the method that they're using to validate that reason. Because mm-hmm. a lot of this was, well, a lot of it was talking past each other. I'm kind of yeah. thinking about more of the first conversation than the second one. Yeah. Like a lot of it was exposition. You know, why are you out here? What are you promoting? What is, how did you, did you start with any assumptions? All this other stuff is faith a factor. Mm-hmm. We didn't really start discussing. That's why I was like, if you came back and we had another 30 minutes yeah. or so or an hour, I think we'd make huge progress. Yeah. Because they may have never even really thought about the faults in the steps that they're using to say, oh, I could be sure that this book is true. So um, I'm a lot more optimistic about it. I think if they were to, to fully flesh out how they're verifying it and, and really taking another look at it to say, is that, is that a really sound way to go about confirming something so important to me? I, I, I'm optimistic that a few questions would probably help, help them take another look at it. But here's the other thing is mm-hmm. that, and this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm almost literally killing myself trying to promote this because I'm just working myself to the bone, but I want more people to learn this so that when those two individuals run into another person who knows street epistemology perhaps, or can use friendly questions to challenge them on their processes, they may get way further than I did. And that's what kind of keeps me going is that um, these, these guys had these beliefs for 17, 18 years of their lives. Mm -hmm. It's all they know more than likely. So to think that a 30-minute talk is going to have a profound shift in their views, I think, is a little bit, a little bit um, too optimistic, maybe even unrealistic. Yeah. It's going to take multiple discussions and, and having them take 
somebody might come up with a great question to ask them that I would never think of. And that's why we want more people to learn about this approach to start having these engagements. I'm really liking this, this idea that I pitched to you earlier, Anthony, about you taking the discussions and like filming it and using that as an opportunity to spend more time with them and, and oh, like actually bring them to the shoes. house and yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And do the, and do the whole thing. But, but if you were to do that, like to be really effective, I think you'd have to go all in. I think you'd have to do what they're asking you to do. Read the book, pray. Yeah. If you get the burning in the bosom and then say, you guys, I honestly tried this. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't feel the burning in the bosom. What does that mean? Right. Because then see, you're not yeah. in, in hypotheticals and you're not in an abstraction. Yeah. They're having to go face to face with you and explain to you why it is that mm -hmm. this test, that, that they can tell you in hypothetical, oh yeah, no one ever does that. That never happens. And now you're like, look, I honestly did it. I took mm -hmm. the time. I spent this time with you guys. Yeah. I, it really didn't happen. Why not? And they'll say it's because you still have doubts and you're just not well, right. Whatever. That, that, you devil. didn't approach this with the right attitude, like they yeah. said in the second one. But it, it, that'll have more of an impact on them, I think. Well, than... it, it might it might demonstrate to them that I'm a sincere traveler with yeah. them on this. Like I'm sincerely open to believing it. Yeah. However, I don't have a lot of time for it. But also, <laughs> it, it would make more sense to talk about what we could possibly do. And then the possible, well, what would happen if I actually did that? Like, why, why, why literally spend six months doing it? Like, I understand there's benefits to doing it. Yeah. But I could say, let's say that I really sat down with you for the next six months and we became really close, good friends. And I really did everything that you said. And I still didn't experience the burning in my bosom to confirm to me that this is true. Would I be, would you say that I was on solid footing? Would you accept that? Would you, would, and, and it's not that it's not true for yeah. me. Right. right. If, it's, it's false for everybody at that point, right? Would you agree with that? If they buy in on that, if they can yeah. commit to that, it might actually be worth doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that, that, that could be a good, good approach, good way of bringing that up next time. Cause you'll come across Mormon missionaries again. I mean, for sure, especially going to Utah. I mean, you'll, you'll be around a lot of Mormons well, out there. And let's say that the two, the three of us did that, that the two Mormon missionaries and I, and I, and they ended up leaving their faith because do you think, most people in the LDS church would find that compelling at all. I don't, I, I think that they would think that these were weak minded Mormons and that deceptive atheist, you know, pulled them away or whatever. I don't think that they would find my test all that compelling. That's why I think it's useful to talk about it in, in semi abstract terms, like six inch foot long subs or whatever, <laughs> even though that one failed miserably. But um, this was a learning experience and I, I do feel like I'm more prepared to talk with them and then any other people from the LDS church that I happen across. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not going to keep you here for, for too much longer, but I, I, I do really want to have this conversation about like, what is, what is real and what is true. And the way that I wanted to frame it was like, not, not talking about God or beliefs or anything like that, but about language about about the words that we use mm -hmm. um and, and is language real is lang our language is language true by the way that you would define real and true and and i i told you earlier today because i wanted to give you some time to, to think about it that did you spend any time thinking about that anthony <laughs> I, I gave you a little homework. time yeah tell me tell me what you think about that question well, I, yeah, we talked about it a little bit, so I did give some thought, and then I noticed it kind of being a, a recurring theme in the two reviews that you did. So my question, though, would be back to you. 
Mm-hmm. What do you think the word true means? Or we could actually talk about what you think the word truth means, mm-hmm. but it, it might be more valuable to talk about it in terms of true false. Okay. So what do you, we could do either one, but let's start with maybe the easier approach. When I say something is true or false, what, what do you think that those words mean? What do you think the word true means for you? Mm, I think it, it means that it's like verifiable, that it's actual, that it's real. And I, and I know I'm just using synonyms now mm-hmm. to, 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 to get to truth. Um, That's fine. Yeah. Well, if you look up the definition of reality, I think it says truth. And if you look at the yeah. word truth, it refers you to reality. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of a tautology. And, it's, it's the, and that's why I think that using language to talk about truth is really interesting because you can't talk about language without using language. Mm-hmm. And l- like a lot of times, especially when it comes to religion, um, people will say, well, it's not true because it's man-made. Like this isn't really something that's true because it's man-made. It's not real because it's man-made. It's a fiction. Hmm. Uh, it's a construction. Um, so like the stories in the Bible about, you know, Noah's Ark or the Tower of Babel or anything like that, they're not true because it didn't actually happen. Oh, so it's not okay. real. Yeah, these words are so slippery. So I would say that it, 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 it's factually true that the Book of Mormon says that there was a Tower of Babel. Yeah. Right. Like we can, we can open a book, turn to a specific page and we can read about it. It's yes. factually true that that's in there. Right. However, it may not be factually true that that really happened. Right. So there's that, there's that distinction there. Uh, I was actually talking to somebody recently. Oh, I was doing an interview where somebody was saying the U S military released some videotapes of UFOs and the military said that the, I'm, this is secondhand now, but mm-hmm. the military said that, these are real tapes. This is real footage. And a lot of people took that to mean that the military was confirming that these were really UFOs. And that's not at all what's happening. So it's so easy for us to take a concept and run with it and completely miss the, the intent, the intended yeah. direction of where that was going. Yeah. So, so I, I like what you just did with the Tower of Babel example, where you said it's, it's, it's a fact, it's true that it's, mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's probably not true, not a fact that there in, histor- in history was this tower and this, the story that happened as it's, as it's told there. Mm-hmm. Could you take a similar approach to, if I'm asking you about the truth of language and like the definition of a word, like you could say it's true that people oh, think that the word true means this, but is that what it actually means in reality? Oh, I see. Well, I think words, words are just utterances. Uh, words, words can even be physical gestures. I was actually mm-hmm. thinking about this earlier today when we, you, know, you told me we were going to be talking about this. Um, humans are creating actions, whether it's with their mouth and they're making a vocal utterance or they're doing something with their hands or maybe even a, a facial expression like surprise or something. Words are, are strictly something that humans are creating mm-hmm. and then other humans are accepting or rejecting. Yeah. Now when enough people accept a, a meaning of a word, it becomes, it becomes commonplace. Yes. This, yeah. I, I'm thinking of like when I was a kid and my grandpa said, Oh, you really made a boner. Mm-hmm. I, 
me and my brother just lost it. We were cracking up <laughs> and he got mad at us. He was talking about a mistake. Right, right. A bonehead, and we were thinking, a boneheaded you know, thing. A boneheaded thing. Yeah. So language changes over time and he got yeah. really upset, but I was just fascinated with it because we were, we were both working with two different work definitions of what that word meant. Which, which one of the definitions was true? It's factually true that there are multiple meetings of the word. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I but there's so, no inherent factual objective meaning to words. Right. They're, they're they're, it's subjective. a system of symbols, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a system of symbols. And the reason that they're considered true or real or valid or not is all about group consensus. That's right. And we can all agree tomorrow that what we call even is now odd and what is mm -hmm. odd is now even, yeah. or tomorrow is not, is, it's not going to be 2020 tomorrow. It will actually be 2021. Everything will be the same, but we're just changing the year by, you know, by one digit. Yeah. We can and, make it whatever we want. And, 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 and why, you know, we, we don't do those kinds of things because it would create so much confusion right off the bat. But what, what language has has evolved it's, and it's it's a feature of evolution it's it's given homo sapiens a distinct advantage over other uh species of uh, life that don't have uh the, the the language capabilities that we have what so what is it that language actually does how does it function that that we've got this what would you be con, would you be comfortable calling language a fiction hmm there's so, no inherent factual objective meaning to words would you be comfortable calling language a fiction because it's it's a it's a construct it's it's created by humans you've got different versions of it in different countries where you have different languages different mm -hmm. words for the same thing even even i might think like we talked about the word test earlier mm -hmm. might mean something different to me than it does to you and we both speak english so would you consider that there is a fictional element to language whether it's, it's a fiction or not. I don't know if I'd use the word fiction. I, that doesn't seem like it fits. Um, language is flexible. Mm. Language is malleable. Language is, is managed by humans. And it seems like the majority, I mean, there are even subgroups of people. I, I might have a, a special language that I use with my, with my kids that only yeah. they understand or something. But what is it about fiction. the word fiction that, that doesn't fit to you? Well, when I hear the word fiction, I think of, uh, well, I'm thinking of made up and words are made up, Yeah. but uh, maybe like a different kind of made up, like uh, constructed for the purpose of entertainment, maybe, or some other benefit. I don't know. I, I think I would want to think about that a little bit more. Okay. I, My, I, I wonder, I, I think that, that a lot of times going back to your, your true or false dichotomy, that, that we equate fiction with faults. And so that if I say to you, would you, oh, would you no. agree that, that language is a fiction? You go, well, but that would mean that we're saying things that we don't really mean or, th or that there's some form of deception that's baked into it that, I, I don't know, I'm guessing as to, to, to why you might feel uncomfortable with, with, with fiction there. Uh, but but, but whether, whether, whether we agree that it's a fiction or not, um, what language does, it, it facilitates communication, group mm -hmm. connection, you're able to cooperate, you have, have cultural and technological progress, things that really wouldn't be accomplished without this system of symbols that we've come to. I, I think you can look at language and say, if it wasn't for language, there wouldn't be war. <laughs> you know, like the, there, there's, there's, there's really horrible, awful things that happen as a result of 
people being able to communicate, even though there's, there's good things. So is it, is language good or bad? Mm. Probably it's neutral. I mean, I think a case could be made that part of, part of what it is to be human is to have a language of some sort, to be able to communicate, to be able to, to, to share complex ideas and, and go to battle or work in partnership with somebody. So the, the, the functional nature of this man-made thing is where I go to when you ask me the question, what's true or what's real? It is, is it an artifact that people can use and they, they use it and there's repeatable results? It's, it's, you know, it, it's a real thing. Um, it, it's a true thing in that sense. Even if it might, you know, like you said, there, there isn't any objective language in the world. There, if, if there weren't mm-hmm. humans on the planet, there wouldn't be this kind of language that we have and still life would continue to go on. Some people might say that math is a language and that is probably as objective as we can possibly get Mm. for communication. As far as being a system of symbols that, you know, like these symbols represent something Mm -hmm. that you can't really portray any other way. We've got it through these symbols. It's the best that we've got. So, so where I find it interesting and you might not find this interesting is to now substitute language for God and ask that same series of questions about the idea of God. Is God real? Is God true? Because I, I see God, just like I see language, as one of these symbols that represents something to people. Hmm. And so I'm not asking you, is there really a God? In the mm-hmm. same way that I'm not saying, is, was there really a Tower of Babel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but the fact it's true that people believe in God and that the belief in God is all over the board, just like the definitions of words are all over the board. People might say that they believe in the same God, but really it's very subjective and oh yeah, personal. even even with the same, the same family, you might have completely yeah. different concepts of what that God is. Right, and and that is a symbol that represents something, and it's very meaningful. And you know what, where where <laughs> where I get into to argument sometimes with, with, um, other infant, <laughs> uh, uh, that I've podcasted with in the past, like, like Randy, people who know Randy is, is we'll have this, uh, discussion about whether religion or a belief in God is net positive or net negative. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, it's really no different than language. And I, I just was wondering if that's a compelling conversation avenue to explore for you at all it might be compelling for somebody to explore i don't know if i've really given that much thought to it you know to look at god like one might look at language that's kind of a different usually when people say that they think god is real they they're thinking of an entity a powerful entity that's that's interacting with reality to some degree whether it, it told somebody to write a book or it's listening to your prayers and making you feel the holy spirit or whatever um, that's usually how people mean it. They don't tend to mean it in an abstract term. Right. That, they, they, uh, they believe it very, li- very literally. Yes. Yeah. This, is, um, this, this, this entity is real. It's, right. it's not a, just a concept made up by humans. Right. Like we might do with words. Right. And, and, when, and when you ask them, what, it, like what are the things. evidences, you know, what are the reasons that give you such confidence in your belief in a God? Mm-hmm. I think what they're going to give you is the function of this symbol in their life. 
Yes. And I think we saw that with the two Mormons. They, yes. they were going on about how their lives got better because they accepted the Book of Mormon as truth. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when, when people, yeah, when people tie a belief with, with uh, well, what we talked about with our identity, that's really tough because you th- people think that you're actually attacking them. Um, when you wrap it up with morality, like I'm a good person because I think that this God is real. And if I didn't think that this God was real, I'd have to consider viewing myself as a bad person. Mm-hmm. And who, who willingly wants to think of themselves as a bad actor? So there's a, it's a real up- uphill battle, I suppose, to challenge these beliefs when they're tied to your identity. And when they're tied and, to morality, right? Yeah, and 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 these really powerful functions that that that, that religion has had, that God has mm-hmm. in people's life. Um, it's one of the reasons and, why in that second conversation I was asking them, "Do you need this book to be good?" Yeah. Can can it? Would you still have bought me a sandwich if you didn't think that this God was real? <laughs> and they said that they would. Yeah. And I thought that was that was, I was I was a little surprised and relieved to hear yeah. that. I've met a lot of people who say, no, I'd, I'd be, I'd, I'd go on a shooting spree if I didn't think this God was real. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess to, to wrap up the, the, the language God um, analogy, what is real, what is true. If, if, if you understand when you're having this conversation with people that the God that they believe in is a symbol, like language is, is a symbol, mm-hmm. but, and, 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 the reasons that they believe this symbol is literal are the things that are really important to them in their life, the way that it, it functions is, is the purpose of street epistemology to get them to move from a point of literal belief to a point of symbolic, like accepting that it's a, a, a symbol rather than that. It's the literal thing. Hmm. There's no, it's it's really hard to say like this is the one and only point of it. I don't yeah, I don't mean like one and only. Yeah. No, mean. okay. Um what's coming to my mind right now is a completely different conversation that I had. Okay. And and that was with a woman, and hopefully this answers your question about like what's the point of all this. It's with the woman who thought that well, she was told by her grandmother that if somebody dies, you should you should leave water out for them. I don't know if you watched that or not. No, I didn't see that. It's a way of honoring the dead in their family. You leave water out because the spirits don't go away right away. And she was doing this. And she would hear footsteps coming down the hallway as a validation. It was a verification that spirits were real. I'm hearing this sound of footsteps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think my goal, let, let me just narrow, I don't, rather than talking like broadly, like what's the goal of SE, my goal in that conversation was to evaluate the evidence that she was putting forward or basically encourage her to evaluate the evidence to see if she was being consistent with what she would use to accept the claim that those are spirits and what evidence or quality of evidence she would use to disconfirm it or mm-hmm. to say, okay, I would need to, I, bottom line, we, we went through this whole thing talking about how she would um, show respect for loved ones. But at the end of it, the the goal I, I don't think was to say like it's what you're doing is dumb in how you're respecting your your loved ones and you should stop doing it. Right. 
No, it's, are you actually doing something because it's true or because it, because it's fulfilling a need? And if it's fulfilling a need of yours, if it's filling a hole, I think I yeah. even talked about this with the Mormons. Is this belief filling that hole in your life? Absolutely. Yeah. I think he said is seeing if we can figure out a way to navigate the world that's based on things that are likely the case rather than things that I was told are what's happening or it makes me feel good to do it this way. Could we still show respect for our deceased loved ones without having to leave water out for them and think that their spirit is coming down the hallway? So it's um, a big part of SE is to talk about the, the real reasons why they think somebody thinks something is true and how mm -hmm. they verify that those reasons. But SE is, is, I never even really realized it until like the last two years. It's extremely tied to the psychology of belief. Yeah, really this, is. We're doing this, yeah. Like, I think SE, the, the premise, if there was ever, one to, ever a person to like write down the premise of like what this is all about, it's probably to, to figure out what's the psychology propping up this belief. Mm -hmm. Now, we may actually find out that there really is a God and somebody has good reasons and they used a really reliable method to validate those reasons. Um, but it seems like at the heart of it, we're, we're exploring the things that we're sticking in the gaps to get through life. And it just seems like, well, that's, that's what I was given. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's the thing that they told me to stick in there. And I stuck it in there. And, and look, my life is actually better. I'm now on this mission trip and I'm meeting all these exciting people. Yeah. And I get this feeling in my bosom. Um, gosh, we've probably come such a long way since we started that, that question. But No, I like it. I, there, there's so much to it. <laughs> the, the, it's not is. just one thing. And it's complicated. <laughs> and it's um, maybe at, at the, in, a, in a really broad way. SE maybe is figuring out how to navigate the difficulties of life based on as many things as we can validate to be the case. Yeah. Because perhaps life is a little bit easier to navigate when you're, when you're navigating it with things that you can demonstrate to be the case rather than I, like, I hope that this is true or so. I, I, I like, I like, I like the way that you are summarizing street, street epistemology as something to help people navigate their way through life. Mm -hmm. Because as, as I've thought through this language, God, an analogy, what, what I, and, and I've been asking myself, okay, Anthony talks about street epistemology as being very useful and very valuable. And I agree with that. And I don't know, I don't exactly know why I agree with that. Hmm. Why I think I agree with that is because th these things that people have been given and that are told to believe in, and they believe in it, when they believe in it as a literal thing, I think it's much easier to feel powerless. Because what I, what I think is actually going on is it's a it, it's a a choice that someone is making to believe, and so they're doing it. So, so they really are responsible for accepting these things or, you know, instead of challenging because we all have the, you know, the, the mm. choice of what we can do. And if you, and if, and if you can recognize that everything that you're being told is coming from a system of symbols, because that's just what language is, even our best scientific, even everything that we, we know from science, we're still just barely scratching the surface of what's 
out there. I think we need to be really, really humble about what we think that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all these, these systems of symbols that we're getting. And if we recognize that we're accepting a symbol because it has a certain function and, and plays a, a role in our lives, like honoring our, the memory of our ancestors and that connects us to our own sense of self and whatever that is, if we can understand that we're making the choice because those are the values, then I think it, it does allow people to be more empowered in the way that they navigate their life. To go, oh, okay, these are symbols. I'm not, I'm not a victim in this world. I have, I have a choice. I have some agency into what I choose, what symbols fit best for me. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that other people are going to have symbols that fit best for them, but the function that they're doing, like if you're looking at the function of what these symbols are doing, it's really, really common. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of things that we do. So that's, that's where I really see the value of, of street epistemology is kind of like a wedge between people and their literal beliefs to try and push away and go, oh, well, maybe, maybe I don't really have good reasons for believing what I'm believing with this degree of certainty, but the value that it has in my life is un, undeniable, unquestioning. Yeah. And so that's why I keep doing it because of this function. And, and maybe, maybe I can have doubt in whether this is actually real or not. Mm-hmm. And because then when somebody comes in with their bully club and says, if you're going to be a good Mormon, you have to ha- hate LGBTQ people. They go, oh, well, wait, no, there's some things I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not so tied to the literalness of my belief in this God that I'm going to go anywhere that you leave my nose. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's funny. I just uploaded a video with a, a, a Muslim guy who basically, in, in the summary of the past two exchanges, he says that when I asked him why he thinks Allah is real, he said that I don't like to question it. It makes me, it, make, it takes away my happiness to question it. Therefore, I don't question it. Mm-hmm. I hate uncertainty. That was his quote. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating in itself. He was basically saying, listen, I, I get so much value from thinking that this is true, even though I can't know for sure if it's real or not, that I'm going to, I'm going to just go with it. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just, maybe I'm not at the right point in my life to question it and take on the burden that comes with questioning it and doubting because it's pricey when you start asking these questions and you realize you don't have good answers for it it could be Mm -hmm. really stressful it's kind of nice to have an off the shelf hey this is true we've we've been believing this for the last 20 generations yeah read the book the book is true you can test it and go to sleep happy at night yeah um but it seems like maybe with se it's, it's, it's a tool that you can use to see if you use the reliable process for verifying your reasons. And maybe through the course of that exploration, when you're having that, that discourse, you could possibly be discussing how other people manage to find the same level of happiness and comfort and meaning and purpose without needing to leave water out for the spirits. What's another way that somebody can actually... But what if, what if they decided they wanted to keep water out for the spirits for the rest they, of their life, even if they didn't believe that anymore? Why, why is that the objective to say, you don't have to do this now? Well, no, it's, it's, you don't have to take away people's, people's um, habits, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But what, what could possibly be happening is that, just like the grandmother taught the young woman that this is, you need to leave out the water, the young woman could be teaching it to her kids. We could be propagating false beliefs or maybe unjustifiable beliefs might be a better way of putting it. 
um, when you propagate unjustifiable beliefs, unjustifiable beliefs, I think it could be problematic. If we're all running around with beliefs that we can't justify, we're going to be, well, I mean, I think a large part of our population does that today. Yeah. And I think we're having, we're having problems because of it. So if there's a way that we can still show respect for our loved ones or, or manage to find a meaning and purpose without having to leverage beliefs that we can't justify, Mm -hmm. let's just leave it at that. Um, I think there's value. I think there's value in exploring ways to still fill those holes with, with other options. What, what are the uh, holes? The holes? The, the hole would be like, I, well, I, I need meaning and purpose, or I don't, I don't know how to show the respect for my deceased elders or something like that. Mm, okay. Okay. All right. Just got deep. <laughs> got deep. Deep holes in here. There are a lot of people who say that they don't care if they're believing something that's true or not. That's what this guy said, uh, Zane. Uh, two videos on my channel. Um, I I don't I don't understand that mindset. I mean, I I, know, I understand it, but I can't ever. Like life is too short and too precious to be filling it up with things that you can't back. Why would I put a high degree of confidence in something that I can't, I can't um, justify and demonstrate to be the case? I understand that there's value in doing so. We actually talk about that a little bit. It might be more of a cost. It might be more of a struggle to navigate the world where you can't just insert any old thing in there. You have to, you have to leave some gaps maybe in, in, in the mind map that we have. Like, okay, I, I don't really know what to put there. And I'm going to just, that's, that's the chasm. I, you know, I, yes, there's things that people are telling me I can put in there, but that doesn't seem like a good thing to, to stick in there. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation. If anybody listening, is there anything you want to chime in before we wrap this up? One thing I wanted to talk about was the uh, stupor of thought uh, prong of the test. Brought, brought it up before you jumped on, Oren. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, go, go ahead. Um, well, you, you've got, you've got uh, Anthony now. All right. Well, the interesting thing is, right, they, they, they say you're going to have peace or the burning abysm if, it's true, if something's true, and then you won't get that, and you may have a stupor of thought if it's not true. And so one of the challenges is, you know, when, do I, when can I give up and know that um, mm. I haven't got that burning in the bosom? It, I, I must have gotten the no such feelings, and therefore it's been falsified. And then... You know, I think if you ask the missionaries, okay, uh, let's say I go home and pray. Um, when do I, when can I give up and know the Book of Mormon is not true? Like, how long do I have to wait? Because, it, you know, <laughs> within Mormonism, people go years without ever feeling the, the burning in the bosom, but they're still, you know, uh, attending church. You know, they, and then they usually you know, backfill it with, oh, I guess I always knew it was true, some of the responses. So. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thinking now that even the stupor that you talk about isn't, isn't even a disconfirmation because the stupor is the thing that the Holy Spirit gives you. So if you were experiencing stupor, that wouldn't be a disconfirmation. That would be a confirmation that the Holy Spirit's real in the mind of a, of a Mormon. No? <laughs> if, if the question being asked was, is the Holy Spirit real, which isn't ever asked. <laughs> <laughs> 
I asked that question. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it's it's funny because the Book of Mormon actually does have a story um, of of one of these um, apostate. What it was? Was it Corianta? I don't I don't remember which one it was. Now Korahor said unto him, I do not deny the existence of a god, but I do not believe that there is a god. And I say also that ye do not know that there is a god. And except ye show me a sign. I will not believe. Now Alma said unto him, This will I give unto thee for a sign, that thou shalt be struck dumb, according to my words, that ye shall no more have utterance. Now when Alma had said these words, poor whore was struck dumb, that he could not have utterance, according to the words of Alma. And now when the chief judge saw this, he put forth his hand and wrote unto Korahor, saying, Art thou convinced of the power of God? And Korahor put forth his hand and wrote, saying, I know that I am dumb, for I cannot speak. And I know that nothing save it were the power of God could bring this upon me. Yea, and I always knew that there was a God. But behold, the devil hath deceived me. For he appeared unto me in the form of an angel, and said unto me, Go and reclaim this people. For they have all gone astray after an unknown God. And he said unto me, There is no God, yea, and he taught me that which I should say. And I have taught his words, and I taught them because they were pleasing unto the carnal mind. And I taught them even until I had much success, insomuch that I verily believed that they were true. And for this cause I withstood the truth even until I have brought this great curse upon me. An angel appeared to me and told me that there were no angels or that there was no God kind of thing. So it's kind of like this contradiction. Well, uh-huh. if, an, if an angel told you there was no angel, didn't you kind of see that there's angels? That, that's, that's, I oh, think, yeah. what you're saying. If the Holy Ghost tells right. you that there's no Holy Ghost, wouldn't that tell you there's a Holy Ghost? I can't tell you how many times I've asked a Christian, usually it's Christians, I say, how could we actually tell that this isn't the case? And then people say, well, I guess it would just take the God to come down to tell me that he's not real. I'm like scratching my head. Like how, how on earth is that a disconfirmation? <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's the evidence. That's yeah. pretty damn good evidence that that's actually what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Uh, when, when I first started studying folklore, I worked in the, the BYU folklore archives on the missionary collection and I was categorized, like I was reading through all of these different, missionary folklore stories that had been collected. I did that for a year and a half. It was so fun. Hmm. And one of my favorite stories was was missionaries that were trying to trick God into um, one of these kind of uh, manifestations to prove that God exists and knowing that God's not going to fall for the trick, but the devil, the devil might. So the missionaries pray to the devil to ask the devil to appear because then if the devil appears, then they know then that God appears. And what ends up happening is the missionary that prays to the devil ends up being killed in some like remarkable way. You know, like <laughs> like the, 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 his companion comes back into the room and his face is aged like 60 years. He's got long white hair and his finger is like some scene from Indiana Jones. Like Emperor Palpatine. I wonder if your feelings on this matter are clear. Emperor Palpatine, e- yes, yes, three. yes. I was just watching that lesson. Yes. Or, or uh, my favorite one, was he prayed for an appearance from the devil in the bathtub and um, the missionary couldn't 
his companion was on the other side of the door and he had to break it down and he saw that the the one that had been praying was frozen in a block of ice inside of the bathtub because that's what that's how the the devil appeared to him so mm. anyway folklore <laughs> i love it i love it so the, and that that's a way that the missionaries kind of express their their doubts and concerns they're able to do it vicariously through these stories and yeah you, you know, know i know what i wanted to ask you of dissonance yeah um faith came up twice in mm. in each of those conversations at the end of the second one it was it was sort of in a kind of in a snide way i think like well i really admire atheists oh, you know right. you really you take it on faith that all this just came from a bang or whatever yeah yet it seems like mormons employ faith as well the the i'm sure they mentioned it in the first talk that i had with them i think it may even come up with the with the couple that i met on the trail yeah and it may have, and then it came up at the end of this third so is faith how big of a, of a factor is faith in mormon ideology massive yeah what, yeah, what yeah. is the definition of faith for for a mormon faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things therefore if ye have faith ye hope for things which are not seen which are true okay. there, there, there's a scripture in the book of alma which is part of the book of mormon that says something about it. I'll, I'll i'll insert the clip blessed is he that believeth in the word of god without stubbornness of heart without being brought to know the word or even compelled to know before they will believe yea there are many who do say if thou wilt show unto us a sign from heaven then we shall know of a surety then we shall believe now i ask is this faith Behold, I say unto you, Nay. For if a man knoweth a thing, he hath no cause to believe, for he knoweth it. Now, as I said concerning faith, that it was not a perfect knowledge, even so it is with my words. Ye cannot know of their surety at first, unto perfection, any more than faith is a perfect knowledge. But behold, if ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if ye can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until ye believe in a manner that ye can give place for a portion of my words. Now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now if ye give place, that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed, or a good seed, if ye do not cast it out by your unbelief, that ye will resist the Spirit of the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, ye will begin to say within yourselves, It must needs be that this is a good seed, or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul, yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding, yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. Now behold, would not this increase your faith? I say unto you, yea. Nevertheless, it hath not grown up to a perfect knowledge. It, it's another one of those things that it first assumes that it's true, but it's not seen. It's things that are true, but not seen. So truth is baked right into the definition of faith. Okay. Um, it's true by definition. When you yeah, it's it kind of true faith. by definition. So, so, so faith is, it's like, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, that, that might be the... Uh, Urban Dictionary yeah. definition of faith. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking that if I do stumble across these two guys again or two other Mormons 
if they want to, it seemed like we maybe left it off on faith and maybe we would pick it up there again. If we yeah. did, I, I would do what we normally do in SE in street epistemology. We, we would ask them for their definition of that word. Yeah. I would probably give mine. We'd compare it and see how we're using it. Yeah. And uh, if it's crucial to con- coming to the conclusion that this book, is, the book of Mormon is true. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this from Christians as well. I've, 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 I've heard it like that atheists rely on faith just as much as religious people do, but they're in such denial. They won't accept that they're, they have faith that there's no God. They don't know. Depending on the definition, they may be right. So yeah. I would want to hear the, what I'd like to hear what they mean by that word. Yeah. I'd write it down. Yeah. And then we'd see if we're using it in the same way. That, and what I suspect is that we would find that we're not, that I'm not using it to mean believe something without seeing it. Well, my definite, I don't know if we want to even get into this, but <laughs> faith, faith, is an, faith is another one of those words you want to unpack. My definition of faith is untrust, untestable trust by humans in this lifetime. Untestable trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, so, so uh, faith, so faith is trust, but it's a kind of trust that there's no way to verify one yeah. way or the other. It's untestable. So it's untestable. I think mm-hmm. uh, faith as religious people, or even, let's say for supernatural claims, when I hear people mention faith, they tend to mean it in an untestable way. Mm-hmm. So by is, that, so by that definition, wouldn't the big, ba- like, is the big bang testable? Like the, the, or, or, or the explanation as to where matter in the universe came from, like before Big Bang or something like that. I, th- I think that's where they're yeah, yeah. saying say, like this, well, this idea that, that everything came from nothing. I would say if, and I, I'm not an expert in those areas, but if we learned that we can't test the, the concept of the Big Bang, then I would say, yes, that, that people are taking it on faith that that's the case. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's my understanding that there's evidence to back that up. And if that's the case and it's testable, if we can actually run tests to see that I, I don't think. I think it's the way that it's framed, that that everything came from nothing. I don't know that that's really what the claim is of the Big Bang. It, it, that might be yeah. a straw man interpretation right. of the Big Bang. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, dude, it would be cool if you could meet me up, uh, meet up with me in uh, in Utah. Yeah. That'd yeah. Be fun. So so we'll you know what once I I think I I, I think when I put your GoFundMe uh, link on the website, I put the wrong URL. Yeah, well, oh, one you? of the listeners came on and corrected it. So I'll, I'll put, oh, the, nice. Thank I'll you, put the correct GoFundMe link on and I'll make sure that one's oh, corrected. That's why we didn't hit the goal yet. That, I know, it's my fault. <laughs> that's okay. It's actually so, been getting attraction. I've only been advertising it on my Twitter and then a couple of the videos that I've released. Oh, I did want to ask you about this because and, and this was uh, another uh, email I got from a listener saying that those Mormon missionary videos seem to have creeped up over a hundred thousand views a lot faster than your other ones. Have, have you seen that? Is, is it a more popular? Yeah. It, it's, it zoomed right up to the top of my, it's probably in my top four or five videos. And I've been, you know, I have other videos that have been around for years. Yeah. Yeah. It's shot up. Um, I'm not sure why. I mean, I, th- I, th- I made a couple of posts. I don't normally make a post of my videos on Reddit, mm. like subreddits, like the ex-Mormon or the LDS yeah. Reddit. And I did there. So that might be one of the reasons. Uh, Mormons love seeing themselves and, you know, like reflected in popular culture anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it's getting so many views. Uh, people, it seems like listening, you know, seeing 
elders, missionaries yeah. getting, you know, engaging with somebody about their views, yeah. which makes me think that shit, if I were to go to Utah and, and record 20 of these, I mean, it, it could it could really be good, and I think the each each one that I do, I'll get a better idea of of the mindset, you know, yeah. the Mormon mindset, and and what would be a better way of phrasing something, or spending a little bit more time hearing them out, like you suggested, mm. before asking that question. I still think you just just take the discussions and invite them into your house. That'd be oh, awesome. That would, that, I, somebody somebody commented on this when they heard me say that. They're like, "That would be awesome." <laughs> I love that. My wife would like that. My wife and kids might be like, "Those well, guys are coming over again." Again? How many yeah. times are they coming over? Oh, we're doing this for six months. Why? Yeah, why I, don't, I don't think it's six months. Did I say six months? I I, th- I think I just threw that out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. What were you proposing? Like three or four visits? Maybe I don't know. Just see. I I well, I think I'll tell, yeah, me, I, I think after two or three it might get it, they 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 might they'll stop showing up. Yeah, I mean, I, after I I think on visit two probably would be when you could say, yeah, I read the book and I prayed and didn't. But they but they might invite you to come to church and then you could film that. Well, I don't know. They probably wouldn't let you film it going to church. I think I kind of drew. I I I laid out my parameters for reading the book in that first meeting. Listen, yeah. if you could demonstrate to me that you used a reliable process for verifying your reasons, yeah. I'll read your book. But they, I don't think they ask to, that you have to read the entire book before you do Moroni's, Moroni's Promise. Maybe that's changed. Oh, that's interesting. I, I think, I, I think they like you just, just need to right read attitude. sections. Yeah, like re- read the sections, do some, make, they'll, they'll like make sure that you know how to pray in the right way. And, hmm. you know, but I don't know. I, I don't mm-hmm. know what they do anymore. <laughs> I was surprised when they, and I think I edited this part out um, when, when I was just making choices on what to keep and what not, but they explained to you that they're on the campus and, and they're only targeting people between 18 and 30. Um, that mm-hmm. I, I've never experienced anything like that before. But. Well, it's possible that there's 300 missionaries in San Antonio and they just happen to be part of the subgroup that's targeting that. And there's another yeah, group the targeting older people, yeah. but it makes sense. I mean, you know, I, I sometimes ask myself, what's the best use of my time? Is it talking to older people on a hiking trail where it's a little bit quieter or going to kind of a raucous campus with jackhammers in the background and yeah. noisy carts and screaming kids walking by, right? Like you saw in the videos. I think it's the campus. It's that younger demographic. They're a little bit open, maybe a little bit more open, yeah, a little bit more comfortable being recorded. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's a better use of mine. And they're the future. They will be voting for the next 50 years. They will be yeah. raising families. It's a better use of my time to, to talk to those folks, I think. And, and, and also probably in a, in a state where they're questioning what they believe anyway. Yeah. Um, a lot of these you know, kids that are going there, that's the first time that they're away. Right. They don't never met anyone from a different religion. Yeah. They've, they've yeah. been surrounded by Christians, for example. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Anthony. As always, it's a, a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, yeah, let, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming that you're going to be in Utah in, in April, that you're going to hit that that goal and you'll we, be there. We don't April. know exactly when. I think they have another conference in, is it October? October, yeah. I'd prefer to go in April than October to Utah, yeah. to yeah. be clear, but but we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I want to talk with some experts who are familiar with all that and figure out the best time to go. And cool. I'm a little, I'm a little wondering about what do you, th- what do you think? Do you, do you think there's anyone from the LDS church who's watched these videos and is monitoring any of this or was it, it just sort of depends on the conspiracy theories that you, you know, there's supposedly this department that's called strengthening the members committee that keeps an eye on hmm. 
podcasts and YouTube videos and things like mm. that. I, I wouldn't okay. be surprised, but, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if one of the reasons why you have high numbers is because Mormons are going, Hey, look at these missionaries, how well they held themselves with this atheist. Yeah. They really schooled him. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't well, be surprised. And I'd be fine. I'd be fine with that. If it meant that the video was getting plays in that kind of demographic. Yeah. Uh, because there isn't videos, anything there, there there's not i didn't find like you were very very respectful you didn't put them down for anything they i i i can imagine that if a if a believing mormon watched that they they wouldn't go away from it feeling um like they've been uh misrepresented in any way good yeah well good that's one of those goals yeah that's absolutely one of those goals Glenn, that was thanks. Awesome. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Maybe we can do another one after after I go to Utah. Sounds good. We'll do a debrief. Cool. All right, and thanks everyone for joining. Hello there. This is your brother, and I have something to say concerning these people. If they do not listen to every minute of every episode of Infants on Thrones, they shall be totally missing out. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum money. They could buy anything in this world with money. On second thought, just give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. A small token for which they have pledged their eternal souls. Anyone for the closing prayer? Mormon, a Mormon who just believes. The fuck is this? And now I can feel the excitement. This is the moment I was born to do. And I feel so incredible to be sharing my faith with you. The scriptures say that if you ask in faith, if you ask God himself, you'll know. But you must ask him without any doubt and let your spirit grow. It's all true, you'll just feel it. You'll be a Mormon, by gosh, a Mormon just just believe. believe. A Mormon just believe. A Mormon just I believe. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.